Please open up to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. You can go to chapter 15, verse 30. Proverbs 15, verse 30. We are going to look at lots of Proverbs today, but we're going to start with 15, verse 30. If you don't have a Bible, you can just raise your hand. One of our ushers will let you borrow one. If you don't own one, we would love for you to keep that one. Please take it and read it. Apply it to your life. Um, If you already have one, you just left it at home. You can leave it in your seat when you're done. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30. Bright eyes cheer the heart. Good news strengthens the bones. This is the word of God. If you haven't been with us, we've been going through Proverbs for a while now. And the first nine chapters are a whole lot of setup for the rest of the book. But last week, Pastor Philip started us off well looking at the back two-thirds of the book, chapters 10 to 31, where you get all these collections of sayings that some people would argue fit together certain ways, some people would argue not. But we decided the best way to approach this for all of you would be to kind of trace themes throughout and hopefully reveal what Proverbs says about these themes. Not what I think, not what Pastor Philip thinks, but what Proverbs says. And today we want to look at the theme of emotion. Now, some of you just checked out because you're like, I'm not an emotional person. This is, I'm not here for an emotional talk. And if that's you, I'm telling you, we serve a sovereign, good God, and you're here today for a reason. And I think he has something to say to us from his word today. Brian, looking at you. If you're on the other side and you're like, I know I'm emotional. I got lots to think about. God's got a word for you too, right, Marcus? All of you on the side are like, I'm never sitting in the front. It's okay. It's all right. What comes to mind when you think of the word emotion? When you think of emotions? Some of you, if you're younger, you, you think of the phrase, in my feels, which I still don't really get. Uh, maybe you think of like epic music, right? Um, not just like soundtracks, like big score, Lord of the Rings, things like that, but maybe even like My Heart Will Go On, Celine Dion, right? That little flute solo hit, start getting little chill bumps. You know what I'm talking about. You get, you get those kind of emotions. Maybe you think of emojis, which, by the way, used to be called emoticons. I really don't know when that changed, but I don't really use them. So if I ever send you a smiley face via text message, it's a big deal, okay? Um, don't really use emojis. Maybe that's what you think of. I think of a Disney Pixar movie called Inside Out. Yeah. Lots of you ask. Woo, we like this movie. Okay, all right. If you haven't seen it, it is pretty good. I don't know how biblical it is or whatever else, but it's just a fun movie, and y'all, sometimes we just need to laugh and enjoy things, right? The point of Inside Out is you're following this little girl, and it's really showing you what's going on inside her mind. And it's showing how emotions are trying to take control of her brain. And there's one kind of leader of the emotions named Joy. And as a child, that's what she experiences most of. Now, there are other emotions as well. You know, you've got sadness, anger, fear, disgust. These are kind of your five traditional categories of emotions, And they're all present in the little girl's mind, and it's showing you how she experienced things, and it really shows you how emotional our lives can be. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Because today we're actually going to use some of the terms from it to kind of follow a structure through Proverbs. Proverbs doesn't say a lot about disgust, so we're not going to hit that one. But we are going to talk about fear, anger, sadness, and joy. Because there's actually good news for us here about all four of these. All right, so let's dive in and look at what Proverbs tell us about fear. Now, a reminder, we're going to be all over Proverbs. Some of them will be on the screen. You can make notes if you want to. 
I encourage you to go through and read Proverbs on your own later. If one particularly stands out to you, I want you to take that one with you, make sure you jot it down, and use it like a jawbreaker. Do you know what a jawbreaker is? You just stick them in your mouth and you leave it there and you taste all the flavors. I particularly like everlasting gobstoppers. Anybody know what those are? From Willy Wonka originally, but now they got the ones that just change flavors as you go so you can taste all the different flavors as they come off. This is a real thing if you've never had one. They're actually really good. Take a proverb and do that with it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Consider the truth of it. Consider how it applies to your life if the Lord brings one to you that way. But there are several that talk to us about fear. And in fact, one that we've talked about a lot in Proverbs is in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's a very similar verse in chapter 1 of Proverbs. And we said, this is really the key to understanding the book of Proverbs. If you do not fear the Lord, all the stuff we're going to talk about today is not going to be helpful for you. Because we have to first fear the Lord for this other stuff to work out. Don't go pulling Proverbs going, oh man, I'm just going to apply this to my life and make my life better. If you're trying to do that on your own, it's not going to go well. Okay? So the fear of the Lord is not just the starting point for us, though. It's also the undercurrent. So if you're here today and you say, well, you know, I started to fear the Lord one time when I was a kid, but I've not really been walking with him. We need to be walking in this fear of the Lord, this continual fear. Now, this is more of a reverence, not just a terrified fear, though before a holy God, we have every right to be terrified. We start with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15 16 says more about fear. It says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. This is a common structure we find in Proverbs. It's a comparative structure. It takes one thing, says this, and then it says, but this is this way. And the truth is, the Bible tells us a lot about our treasure. And I like that it relates it to fear here. Both Matthew and Luke in the Gospels record Jesus saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to know that our fears can reveal what we treasure just as much as our joy. Okay? A lot of times you think, man, just find out what that person's happy about, what they're passionate about, and you'll find out what they're about. Oftentimes, what we're afraid of shows where our heart is. Let me ask you some questions that will help you with that. What do you fear losing? What do you fear never having? If you say, my life would be perfect if I just had blank, how would you fill in that blank? I hope you would say, the Lord God, life with him forever. And I think that'd be the right church answer. Some of you are like, yes, that's exactly what I'd say. Is it though? Or would you say, well, I'm just looking for this this certain kind of man or promotion Or I've really always wanted to live in this city, and if I can just live there. And really, it's not just a desire and a want. There's a fear that if we don't get that thing, that we will feel unfulfilled. What do we hope in when we're afraid? What gives us courage? It's been weird growing up thinking about fear and courage. Because when you're little, you hear about it a lot. I think you see lots of stories about, you know, if if you're a boy like me growing up, you you had army men and knights and all all these people fighting. So you talked about courage not being the absence of fear, but what you do in the place of it. And as I've gotten older, I realized that I don't so much have to have courage to, like, fight dragons and stuff. Now I have to have courage to, like, leave my house in the morning. 
You know what I'm talking about? Where do we find courage to face the day? What gives us that courage? Proverbs 16.6 tells us more about fear. It says, Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. I'm going to read it again. Iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. You're seeing this fear of the Lord come up again and again. You should be seeing that because it's throughout Proverbs, really throughout Scripture. The language in this particular proverb is actually from Exodus 34, 6. Now, you may not know that passage, and that's okay. You should go check it out some other time, though, okay? It's where Moses is actually on the Mount Sinai, and he's receiving the law from God, and while this is going on, the golden calf's going on, okay? The people are abandoning the God who just brought them out of Egypt, and he says to the Lord, show me your glory which is a bold thing to say to a holy God, because what you're saying is, kill me right now. And God allows him to see just a glimpse of his glory, and he calls out with language like this loyalty and faithfulness. It points to his divine attributes. And I love the proverb here connects God's divine attributes to atonement for our iniquity. Now, if you are not a church person, and even if you are, what on earth does atonement for iniquity mean? No, that means payment for our sin. That means payment for our rebellion, our treason against the holy God. Our hope in that is God's loyalty and faithfulness. That's why it connects this language from Exodus. We think atonement and loyalty and faithfulness, I hope if you're a Christian in here, that automatically gets your brain thinking of the cross. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is the best example of loyalty and faithfulness. It's God being faithful to his people, even though we have been unfaithful. Loyal even unto death. Faithful even though we continue to rebel, even though we continue to turn away from him. 1 John 4.10 says, Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you get that? Folks, God so loved you that he sent his son into this world to go to the cross and die in our place, to bear the wrath that we deserve. He took that on himself so that anyone who would trust in Jesus, all who will trust in Jesus, can be with him forever. Because he didn't just die in our place. He was dead three days and came back from the grave. Jesus is alive. Do do we know that? We sing... Victory has a name, Jesus. Do we sing that thinking of like this person in history? Or do you think of like Jesus, who's currently at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people? He's alive right now. We're singing one line of the song jumped out to me. Jesus is here in the power of his spirit, in the presence of his people. He's present with us. His loyalty and faithfulness is shown at the cross and his resurrection, and even here today. By the fact that a sinner like me could stand up and read and preach his word is a testament to the faithfulness of God, not to any strength within me. You see, when we turn to Jesus, we turn away from evil. We no longer have to fear evil because the Lord is with us. Now, it's not that we no longer fear at all. It's that we fear the Lord. We rightly revere the holy, almighty, triune God. 
It's not a fear of punishment. Do we understand this? If you trust in Jesus, you don't have to always interact with God as fear of, oh no, he's going to get me. It's a knowing that Jesus has paid the price in full for me, and now I can run to God as my Father. The Spirit attests within us and cries out, Abba, Father. Taking away our fear. Giving us a right fear, a reverent fear for the Lord. But fear is not the only emotion that we feel. You see, this could have been a whole sermon just on fear. We could have done that. But we're trying to talk about lots of proverbs, lots of emotions. So the next one we want to look at is anger. Anger. Some of y'all are mad right now. I can tell by how tense your jaw is. Stop elbowing people. We have lots of proverbs to talk about anger. Proverbs 14, 29 says, A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge restrains his words, and the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Proverbs 25, 28. A person who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. Are you catching a theme here about anger in Proverbs? Like many emotions mentioned in Proverbs, Anger is mainly spoken of regarding how we should be controlling it. But does this mean that anger is always a negative emotion? Is God ever angry? Actually, multiple times in Scripture we see he is stirred to anger. I think a lot of people in our day and age, maybe you today, we kind of stay away from the Old Testament because we think, oh, that's when God was angry. And then we get to the New Testament and we get, we get to the nice God of grace. And I'm here to tell you, that's not accurate. One God who's unchanging forever, who is both love and just, always. Okay? And in fact, it's because he is holy and righteous that anger does come forth. If you don't believe me, it's in Psalm 711. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. Yeah, that's in the Bible. See, it bothers me because we say God's not angry in the New Testament. That totally ignores the cross. Why did Jesus have to die if there wasn't something for God to be angry about? Well, it's our sin. And God's righteousness that leads him to a righteous anger. There are some things that should make us angry. Right? We know that. That's not crazy. But for some reason, when we talk about God, suddenly we're like, oh, well, he can't ever be angry. Why do we feel that way? It is important to note that in all the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament, the word angry is only attributed to Jesus one time. Now, that some of you are already guessing. You're like, I bet it's when he cleansed the temple and he drives the people out with whips. It actually doesn't say he's angry in that passage. The one passage is actually in Mark chapter 3, and it's talking about Jesus' anger toward the Pharisees, toward the religious people. Mark chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then he said to them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. 
Do you see the context of his anger here? He's crying out from his righteousness for justice. That's why he's angry. He wanted to heal this man, and they're saying, well, because of religious laws, you can't do that on Sundays. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Watch this. Heals the man. The Lord's anger is always tied to his righteousness. Now, what about us? Is our anger always tied to our righteousness? I'm just going to do this section like this. Y'all, these Proverbs give us insight. They're about keeping a cool head, about being slow to anger, controlling our anger rather than our anger controlling us. You can be angry and without sin. You know how I know that? Because it's very clear in the Bible. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. See, anger is not always sinful, but it can be dangerous and should not be taken lightly. If anger is your default, if you say, well, I'm just kind of an angry person, I'm just kind of harsh, people take me that way, that's a you problem. Okay? Let's, let's just get it out there. We, we do the uncomfortable laugh thing because we know it's true. Y'all, if that's you, this is the time to repent. Find forgiveness, find joy here. Something's eating you up that's causing you to be angry, and that's not how a Christian's supposed to live. Y'all ever met angry Christians? I've met angry Christians. It's not fun. What makes the headlines a lot is people who are at least claiming to be Christians that are angry. That's not how we're supposed to be. It doesn't mean we can never be angry, but it means we should be slow to anger. It should mean that when you see that I'm angry, you know something's going on. On a practical note here, you know, sometimes I like to get in the weeds and make you really uncomfortable. It gets said a lot, and there's kind of this cultural understanding that women are the more emotional people, not men. We've heard this. We've sensed this. Women here are already mad and like tense, like, what's he going to say? Don't worry, I'm coming for you, women. Got your backs right here. My wife gave me insight into this. I'm not taking credit for it. I've even heard it said that a woman shouldn't be president because she would be too emotional to make big decisions. Y'all ever heard somebody say that? Some of y'all getting angry right now. We just talked about it, controlling anger, being slow to anger. Why is it, though, that we say women are the emotional ones, but we often associate anger with men? It's like we don't treat anger like it is an emotion. Did you know that it is, though, right? Men are just as emotional. We just don't like to call it that because it makes us feel weak. It humbles us. It puts us in a right position before a holy God. It puts us in a right position before our neighbors who we should be loving and serving. We should be humble. Men, I'm talking to you for just a minute in the room. Women, you can hear this too, but men, this is for you. If you are angry all the time, you need to deal with that at the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to realize that that is part of the old self that needs to die. And you need to walk in the newness of life in Christ. For your own good, for the good of those around you, and for the glory of a holy and worthy God. If you deal with anger, do something about it. Now that some of you are sad, we can move on to sadness. See how this works? It just flows so well. We just move on to sadness. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter, a heart may be sad, and joy may end in grief. I was 
a little anxious even preparing this part of the message because in my experience, we don't do sadness well, even in church. Maybe it's because we don't like feeling sad. Maybe, maybe you do. If there's somebody in here who likes feeling sad, like more power to you, you've just sorted all that out. I don't like feeling sad, okay? Is that, is that down? Like, oh, I don't want that. But the truth is we don't like when other people are sad, right? Even in church, somebody starts crying, what do you do? You immediately go with the Kleenexes like, oh, it's okay. We don't let them be sad. We don't let them grieve. We don't let them mourn. We don't let them cry. Why not? Because we're looking out for our own comfort. We're not looking out for that person. If we're to love each other well, we've got to make room to be sad and mourn because, y'all, sometimes we're sad. And that's okay. If you're here today and you're sad, you're allowed to be sad here. Isn't that freeing? Isaiah calls Jesus a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Brothers and sisters, friends, guests, in John we find the shortest verse of the Bible. Does anybody know what it is? Jesus wept. Come on, somebody. Shortest verse of the Bible tells us that Jesus, our Savior and our King, felt sadness. His friend Lazarus was dead in that context, by the way. And all of his friends were mourning. And he was probably upset about the sin in the world and the fact that death was even still a problem. It probably wasn't just one thing. But that's how sadness is, right? We get overwhelmed by so many things and then it comes out of our eyes. Jesus felt this. He mourned with them even though he knew he was about to bring Lazarus back from the dead. If you've never read that story, you should go read John 11 one day. Y'all, we have a Savior who is eternal and is mightier than any of us who compassionately grieves with us. Do we get that? That's huge for our understanding of God. That means that grief can be good. Charlie Brown was right. Good grief. Isn't that encouraging? We don't have to feel bad for being sad. Now, hang on. Some of y'all need some explaining on that. I'm that person, y'all, when I'm sad. I'm like, I'm not supposed to feel this way. I'm a man. I'm a pastor. Nope, not, not going to do it. We fight it off. We're watching a movie that makes us sad. Nope, nope, I'm not crying. Allergies. Got something in my contact. Right? We have all these excuses. We refuse to be sad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be sad. There is, however, a sadness that goes all the way down to the heart. A sadness that should concern us. One at the very core of who we are. Listen to what Proverbs 15, 13 says. A joyful heart makes a face cheerful, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. Proverbs 17, 22 is similar. A joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. How do we fix a sad heart? How do we repair a broken spirit? The short answer is we don't. We need new hearts. You see, I believe that 
these two Proverbs I just read, 15, 13, and 17, 22, I really believe they're speaking of a sadness and a brokenness that is found here when our hearts are apart from Christ. Before we know Jesus, we have a sadness in our hearts that won't go away. And we may hide it well. We may smile and go about our lives, but there's a loneliness There's a depression that we can't shake because there's an emptiness that only Jesus can fill. We need a whole new heart. We don't just need to feel better. The prophet Ezekiel, using the language of Deuteronomy 30, says in Ezekiel 36, 24-28, listen to this. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. John uses a lot of the same language in Revelation chapter 21. That's the place in the Bible where he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Why? Because the previous things have passed away. I've encouraged people on multiple sermons here. I'm going to do it again today. If you get weirded out by Revelation, I need you to do me a favor and go read Revelation 21 and 22 sometime because it's some of the most hope-filled Bible verses you will ever read, especially if you are sad. Trust in Christ and read his word and be filled. Now, being a Christian doesn't mean you'll never be sad, but it does mean the deep sadness that comes from not being in a right relationship with God is removed. That deep, incurable sadness, the one that we just can't do anything about, is gone. Now, there will be other sadnesses in our lives But Jesus will be with us. He will grieve with us. And I want to remind you, if you're here today and you're sad, you're in a safe place to be sad. As you mourn, be encouraged, especially if you're a Christian brother or sister. We grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. We find eternal rest and satisfaction in Jesus. In Jesus, we find the fullness of, of joy forever. Now before we talk about joy, which is what we're going to get to here, I want to take just a brief aside and say, if you are here today and you deal with clinical depression or something that has been diagnosed that way, I need you to know that is not what we're talking about. Okay? If your doctor is prescribing you medicine to take, please take it. Please listen to your doctor. Doctors are a gift from God. If you need to go to counseling, go to counseling. Y'all, I see a counselor every week. Talk to him every Monday. Tomorrow at 2. It's happening. There's no stigma here. We need emotional health, things like that. You can be a Christian and believe the Bible and trust the Lord and still go to counseling and still take your meds, okay? Everybody got that aside? Cool. Didn't want somebody immediately after being like, you don't know my kind of sadness. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just the emotional overflow. Everybody cool? Cool. Let's talk about joy because that's what everybody wants to talk about anyway. Depending on your experiences in church, you might think of Christianity as a joyless religion. 
I want to do this. I, I thought about not doing this, but raise your hand if you grew up like that was that would have been foreign to you, that joy was a part of your church service on Sundays. Anybody? That that was like a foreign thing? Some of you are so afraid to admit right now. You're like, is my dad in here? Like, no, it's okay. My dad is the pastor of the church that I grew up in, and even still, we sing some of these songs, and they're such joyful, triumphant songs, and we sing them just like this. Because we lack joy. Now, some of you might also think of church as a place where people fake happiness. Not going to get a show of hands for that one. But that may be your experience. It may be that everybody was running around and grinning and everybody's just doing great. When really, you knew the brokenness going on in their lives. You knew what had happened the day before. So joy was just foreign to Christianity for you. So while these perversions of Christianity do exist, because make no mistake, they are that. I'm not saying people in those churches aren't Christian. I'm just saying that Christianity does come with joy. So here's some good news here. I'm here to tell you that God of the Bible calls us and loves us enough to call us to abundant joy forever. Proverbs 12:25 says, "Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up." Proverbs 15:30 that we started out with says, "Bright eyes cheer the heart, good news strengthens the bones." A good word, good news. Do y'all know what the word gospel means? It means good news. Y'all tell people all the time, we need the gospel every day as Christians. Every day. You know how I encourage you to read the Bible? Because I hope when you go there, you're going to be reminded of who God is, who you are, and what he has done for us in Jesus. You know why? Because every one of us, myself included, need that reminder, need that hope and that joy every day. It's going to affect how I view myself. It's going to affect how I view God. It's going to affect how I look at those around me. It's going to affect my attitude. You're like, this sounds like a quick fix prosperity gospel thing. No, this is just hope. This is just joy. And if you're, if you're hesitant for this, then maybe that says more about your own experience with church. Joy doesn't mean you just walk around doing heel clicks all the time. All right? Some of y'all have seen me. I told you I grew up in the church where this is how we're singing stuff. I don't run around down here every week. I rarely do. But y'all, there's a real joy that I have because of who Jesus is and what he's done. When we're reminded of the gospel, we should feel some joy. Hear this reminder from Titus 3. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. And y'all are like, wait, I thought you were reading something joyful. We're getting there. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. If you're a Christian and you can hear those verses and not feel a little sense of joy, I wonder if you're a Christian. It reminds us of who we were and it reminds us of who God calls us to be now. Jesus transforms our lives. 
He doesn't just want us to do stuff. He wants us to be new and then do stuff. Do we get that? The call of all of this is not, hey man, you've got emotions, you need to get it straight and then come to Jesus. The call is, come to Jesus exactly how you are. Learn what righteous anger looks like. Learn what it means to fear the Lord rightly. Know that Jesus will grieve with you and will mourn with you and be sad with you. But also know that this is good news of great joy. A Savior for everyone who will trust the name of Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel today if you're here and you haven't before. There's joy available for you. These aren't just platitudes. This is real life. You can find cheer for your heart and strength for your bones that only Jesus can provide. Hear the promise of Proverbs 16.20. It says, The one who understands the matter finds success, and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. We need more happy Christians, y'all. We need more joyful Christians. You know what's great is I know some in this church, and y'all there are just fun people to be around. It's some of you. And if it's not you, then you're probably thinking the same people I am. We like to be around joyful people, right? Especially people who have this righteous joy that comes from the Lord that just exudes from them. And they want to share it with other people. Now, some of y'all are like, I'm introverted. That's not how I work. It's not about introversion and extroversion. It's about, do you know the living God? Is your identity found in Him? Jesus speaks of this abundant joy in John 15, 10 and 11. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Listen to this. He tells you, you keep the commandments, you remain in His love. But then He says this, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That's that famous passage about remain in me, abide in me. Several of you who have been in church probably heard it before. I went to all these different youth weekends and youth trips where like that was the theme, abide in Christ. And always it was this command, abide in him, remain in him, do this thing. And it wasn't until I think I was in college that I read this for myself and I saw that end part that's like, so that your joy may be complete. And I was like, why did anybody tell me that? That's good. This means his commands are for our good. Do you know that? When we see commands in scripture, you may say, oh, how am I going to explain this to my non-Christian friends? Or do you realize that God actually wants what's best for you? Do you know the true lasting joy available to you in Jesus Christ? If you don't, then today you can. You can turn away from sin and trust in him. Rely on him completely for your righteousness, for your joy to be with you in sadness, to stir you to righteous anger and help you be slow to other forms of anger, to teach you to fear the Lord rightly as you know Jesus more. As I close today, I want you to know that emotions are evidence that we're all made in the image of God. We reflect Him. Because of our sin, we don't reflect Him perfectly. But in Christ, we actually can glorify God even with our emotions. I would even say especially with our emotions, our affections. Proverbs 16.32 says, Patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Everybody here today, 
Do our emotions get the best of us or do we get the best of our emotions? Understand that when Christ is our anchor, the Spirit actually does empower us to control our emotions. That's real. This doesn't mean that feeling emotion is wrong. We just don't want to be mastered by our emotions. Think about our feelings for a second. Because throughout this sermon, you may be feeling all kinds of things. You may be feeling hungry. You may be feeling bored. You may have felt some of these emotions we've talked about. But y'all, our feelings aren't always based on reality. Aren't always based on truth. What we feel is not necessarily what's real. My dad often said, and I think he got it from John Maxwell, we see the world as we are, not as it is. I think that's super helpful for our emotions. If everything is making you angry, maybe take a moment to ask why everything is making you feel that way. If you just have a sadness you can't shake, maybe take a moment to look in your heart and say, why am I so sad about this? Maybe there's a valid, righteous reason there. But maybe there's something you need to let go of. Leave behind. Our emotions always reveal what we love, hate, Fear and trust. Do we get that? Our emotions reveal what's already there. They're not the driving force. We talked about that movie Inside Out. It shows all these emotions trying to control the little girl's brain and get their say and her memories and all this kind of stuff. God calls us away from our emotions controlling us and asks us to submit to Him, submit to His power, including submitting our emotions. Now, how, then, do we know what's real? We say, well, we feel things. How do we know that what we're seeing is real? We have to have an anchor in truth. We have to have an anchor in reality. And it's the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. In John 14, Jesus is comforting his disciples. And he tells them, you know the way to where I'm going. And in John 14, 5, Thomas asked Jesus, how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. He is our anchor. He is our Lord. He's the Lord of our whole lives, including our emotions. 